The Vermont Conversation with David Goodman is brought to you by Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility and by Vermont Student Assistance Corporation, Green Mountain Power, Concept 2, Norwich Solar Technologies, The Alchemist Brewery, Let's Grow Kids, UVM Medical Center, and nearly 700 business members of Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit. Welcome back to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. We're spending the hour this week getting some perspectives on Governor Phil Scott's uh, fourth annual budget address that he delivered yesterday. In this half hour, we're speaking with Jill Krowinski. She is a state representative from Burlington. She was elected in 2012, and she is currently the House Majority Leader. She is also, when not in the legislature, the executive director of Emerge Vermont. We recorded this conversation with Jill Krowinski uh, this morning. Jill Krowinski, welcome back to the Vermont Conversation. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the news of this week. Yesterday, uh, Governor Phil Scott gave his annual budget address. What is? Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I think that there were no surprises in the governor's budget address. Uh, he laid out some interesting proposals around health care and mental health. I would say that the the mantra of not raising any new taxes or fees, but putting new ideas on the table um, raises a lot of questions about where he's going to be cutting or programs or finding the money to pay for those new programs. And so I think the devil's in the details here, and we really need more information about what cuts are going to be happening in the agencies of, Agency of Human Services and how that's going to be impacting Vermonters in other ways. And so um, that was a flag for me. The other thing that um, was... Well, let me just ask, what are the new proposals that you heard in the speech that will require uh, funding of some sort? He talked about adding mental health counselors in the Vermont State uh, Troopers uh, barracks. That was one that he raised. He talked about having um, visiting nurses uh, visit new parents who have babies at home. Those are some of the examples. But you know, as we're having the conversation about creating a paid family and medical leave program, um, which he said in his speech that he doesn't support, um, but then talked about how we should create a, a, a program to make sure that new parents have have help um, when they have a new baby at home. So I think that there are some shared goals there. Um, but again, the concern that um, these programs should work together. And so I'm disappointed that he's not um, talking about supporting our paid family and medical leave bill. And I think it's interesting that he's thinking about how we can support new parents. And so that's one, um, that's an interesting conversation to have. And those are some of the, some of the things that he laid out in his budget. What surprised you in the speech? Uh, I think what surprised me was the, um, uh, the lack of climate change um, solutions and ideas. Uh, obviously, uh, this is a top priority for House Democrats to push through a package of policies that help build um, Vermonters against uh, and build resilience um, around climate change and take some really strong steps to get us back on the right path um, to combating climate change. And in the governor's address, um, he talked about using some current money to create some incentives around electric vehicles, charging stations, and more park and 
rides. Um, and then when he talked about weatherization, which I think is a really important program. I mean, weatherization is great because it creates jobs. It's good for public health and it helps combat climate change. And I think that should be a top priority for all of us. That's something that has tripartisan support. However, um, in the lineup of priorities, he said that after we spend all the money in our budget, and if there's extra money after we spend everything, 25% of that pot should go towards weatherization. So that's the last of the last of the last of the money at the bottom of the bucket. And for me, we should be talking about climate change initiatives at the top, not at the bottom. And what climate change initiatives do you want to see addressed that you're not hearing get addressed? Well, we have several ideas on the table that we've been working on over the summer and fall. So there's the Transportation Climate Initiative. Um, The Transportation Climate Initiative is um, a really interesting proposal that is a regional concept around transportation, and it would collect a surcharge across all of these states, 11 states, including D.C., and then states decide on how to invest that money into different transportation alternatives because we know that transportation is one of the highest polluters in the climate, and so this would help us um, fund programs to help change um, that that situation and, and incentivize different transportation methods like public transportation, which we have a huge challenge with when it comes to our rural communities. Um, another, th- another bill that we're looking at is the Global Warming Solutions Act, um, which would help boost um, our goal targets to the Parrot Climate uh, um, Parrot climate change goals. I think that's important. That is currently in the House um, Energy and Technology Committee. We are looking to move that bill um, quickly uh, and hope to get it on the floor in February. And then there are some other proposals out there around workforce development. You know, our Speaker of the House, Mitzi Johnson, has talked about every committee. having some some work around climate change prevention. And one of the interesting ideas um, that reflects that is in healthcare. Right now, um, we are ta- having a conversation about um, telemedicine. And telemedicine is a great tool for doctors and patients, especially being in a rural state, to get access to care. And so... Explain what it is. So telemedicine is basically video uh, conferencing with your provider. And so right now, we have a shortage of providers. We have a shortage of public transportation for for Vermonters who are living in rural areas. And so this, I view, is a win-win in expanding opportunities for people to have access to care through telemedicine and reduce our carbon footprint from people having to to travel far places to receive care. So that's a proposal that's being looked at as well. And um, like I said, this is a top priority for us in the House to move climate change prevention legislation and we'll We'll be following through on that. Talk about some of, uh, let's talk about paid family leave and just give us, us a quick primer about where we've been, where we are, and where you're trying to go. So paid family and medical leave has been a top priority for House Democrats these last, well, <laughs> since I started in the House in 2012. 
I believe that every family should have access to to paid leave as part of their job. Um, I think it helps level the playing field for businesses and for families in this state. The policy that we are looking at right now um, provides families 12 weeks to take care of a new baby. Um, that includes um, adoption or fostering as well. And it's for both individuals, for all parents to take. In terms of medical leave, it provides eight weeks to take care of a sick family member, and then it has a six-week voluntary option to take care of yourself if you are sick. This is the strongest proposal that we have gotten this far um, in the legislature in my time here. And uh, tomorrow, Thursday, we will have a vote in the House on the Committee of Conference report, which is the updated bill that has gone through the House, through the Senate, and now this is the final proposal, and then it will go on to the governor. The governor has indicated in his budget address that he will veto the bill, which means it will come back for us to have um, a veto override vote on. And so we are working um, with our colleagues and advocates and Vermonters across the state have been reaching out to their legislators to say, please vote for this bill and vote for the override. It's time that families have access to paid family leave. Explain what the governor's counterproposal is, because he also talks about paid family leave. So um, I always get nervous speaking <laughs> about the governor's proposal. Like, I don't, I'm not going to speak for him, but what he has um, relayed in, in the newspaper and, uh, is that he supports an all-voluntary system. And I believe that an all-voluntary system for taking time off to take care of a new baby, to take care of a sick family member, or yourself just doesn't work. And we need something that's stronger, that's mandatory to make sure people are all in. Uh, what's interesting is where we are right now is that the question on the table is, Either we pass the policy that we have, um, the legislature is proposing with the 12 weeks for family leave and eight weeks for medical leave, or the governor's all-voluntary program. He proposed this, and it's part of the Vermont State Employees Union contract. So the question is whether, you know, there's not a path where nothing happens. The path is either one of these two proposals that are on the table. And I do think that, you know, if the governor thinks that it's good enough and supports it for VSEA employees, why not the rest of Vermont? And explain how the state employees family leave program works and is funded. Uh, it is funded through ta taxpayer money. And uh, I haven't actually seen all the details yet of how it would work. It, the language in the contract is very broad. And so we're looking to get those details of what that would entail. What are some of the other big issues that Democrats are trying to move this session? Well, uh, I'm excited that we are also, in addition to paid family and medical leave, will be taking up a bill to raise the minimum wage. Uh, we worked on minimum wage last session. It got through the House and the Senate, and now we're back um, working with the Senate on a final proposal to bring to the floor. Uh, I expect that we'll have a vote either at the end of this week or the, early next week um, on, on minimum wage, and then that will go on to the governor. It is unclear um, if he will veto this bill or not. Uh, but again, just like minimum paid family leave, we're saying 
we want people to support the bill and the override. The policy and what it looks like right now is um, what I what I call kind of a turbo boost uh, to help get us back on track towards having a minimum wage that gets us closer to a livable wage in Vermont. So the committee is looking at policy that would take the timeline down to two years and have an increase that gets us anywhere between twelve fifty or twelve seventy five. That's sort of the the range that they're looking in right now, and. Um, um, we're we're getting really strong support for that in the building. Originally, the minimum wage talk, well, nationally and locally, has been about fight for fifteen, uh, fifteen being fifteen dollars an hour. Is fifteen dollars still? Is is there still a trajectory to get there? Well, I think the better way to look at it is talking about how can we get to a livable wage. I think when you put one number out there, um, times change and and. That number loses its meaning over the course of several years as we work out there. And I think in a lot of conversations with my constituents and a lot of the coalitions and advocacy around the fight for 15, I thought it was a good um, number to kick off the conversation. But in reality, what's going to help more people is having a long-term game plan on how we get to a livable wage in the state. What do you define as a livable wage? Uh, I think that means that it's a certain portion of like 30% of your costs for housing. Um, there's a factor, um, there's a formula that the Joint Fiscal Office, who, who are, are number crunchers at the legislature, come up that has all of these factors about the cost of housing and food and transportation, and they come up with what that number is. And I think that is a good way to look at it to make sure that we're raising the wage to, to meet um, what the costs are for all of these factors. So, I, I look towards that formula and that report for what that number should be. As I understand it, when we speak of a livable wage, it's quite a bit higher than any of the numbers we're talking about. It takes us into the 20s, uh, mid to high $20 an hour. And um, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I would have to go back and look at the re- the last formula, but I don't think it, it is that high. Um, there's also factors taken into consideration for urban versus rural that are looked at, too. Um, I, I, I do think that this formula and looking at all of the different um, factors out there makes sense. I, and, you know, listen, people shouldn't be having to choose be- between, um, you know, whether or not they're going to buy an extra loaf of bread or whether they're going to take that extra tip, that trip somewhere. I mean, Vermonters are struggling. And I just heard a story this morning about a woman at the grocery store who was literally in line adding up what she could afford and was taking things out of her cart and putting them back. That's heartbreaking. This country is the wealthiest country in the world. And instead of talking about how we take care of our people, we're talking about stock market gangs. We're talking about what we can do to help the wealthier become wealthy, and that's unacceptable. So I think whatever we can do to continue to support Vermonters with minimum wage and paid family leave um, will not only help keep our families well and secure, um, but I think it also makes Vermont as a place where people will want to come and live and stay. And so I think that these policies, you know, not only help our families, but help our economy as well. Governor Scott identified the you know declining population as the central challenge facing Vermont. 
Do you agree with that? I think that it's part of the challenge that we face. I don't think it's the one thing um, for Vermont. Look, I think that if we're going to be investing dollars and bringing people here, I want to make sure that we're investing in our people first and ensuring that they have access to the programs like paid family leave, like raising the minimum wage, and making us be a place where people want to come and live. I also think that, and and the governor, and I give him a lot of credit for saying this, I think that we should be a place where new Americans and refugees can come. And I think that is a critical part of how we can grow Vermont, being a welcoming and inclusive place for people. And I think that's something that the governor has spoken about and the speaker has also supported. And and I do as well. I think that that is a really important role that we can play um, in, in these world dynamics that are happening right now. And so um, that's, yeah, that's where I, I am with that right now. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Vermont Conversation. We're speaking with House Majority Leader Representative Jill Krowinski. And we're talking about uh, the governor's budget address that just took place yesterday. What are some of the ways that uh, you think there may be a possibility of working together and advancing uh, some new bill that didn't exist before this session? Oh, ooh, that's a tough question. A new bill. <laughs> well, I don't know about a new bill, but just uh, legislation uh, that might come out of, uh, you know, what the governor is proposing and what you are? Well, you know, it's interesting. One area where I think we have an opportunity um, on tripartisan support and work with the governor is actually on creating a tax and regulated system in Vermont for marijuana. Um, There's been a lot of work done to – on this bill that is currently under consideration in the House to move Vermont towards a system where marijuana is taxed and regulated. And I think there's a lot of interest from the governor on this bill and even use some of the the funding for some of his programs um, and ideas taking some of the money that would come from uh, a tax system for marijuana. Uh, I've had such interesting conversations with people that re- that – all different party affiliation that say legalization is one step. We need to get to, to the regulated step. And that states around us are coming to that place as well. And uh, we need to put a system in place if other states are going to be doing that as well. So uh, all different types of arguments for a tax and regulated system, uh, racial justice, criminal justice, other factors at play. So I think that's an interesting one to watch and to see. I think that when we get that to the floor, it's going to have strong tripartisan support. And um, so far, the indications we're getting from the governor is that he's at the table and interested. And so I hope that's one that we can move forward and have his support on. Let's talk about uh, politics, both national and local. And, of course, we're having this conversation in the middle of a historic impeachment uh, trial going on in the U.S. Senate. How are the politics of at the national level and, you know, with the all the talk of, you know, unprecedented divisiveness, um, does that trickle down into the work that you see going on in day day to day in the Vermont State House? Uh, that's a great question. I, I do think that the rhetoric happening at the national level is starting to trickle down to Vermont. Um, 
the opening day of the legislature, Speaker Johnson talked about this in her opening speech, saying that we need to set the standard and model the behavior of saying we are going to be respectful and we are going to listen to our constituents and we're going to hold each other accountable to that. Uh, I've heard the governor make similar remarks as well. Um, You know, I, I think... As I as I travel around the state and talk to, to, to Vermonters, they are so concerned about this. Um, they are concerned about the disre- disrespect happening and the, and the lack of progress and gridlock. And I think one thing that I'm proud about, that we work really hard to make sure that doesn't happen um, and that we are working together um, with our colleagues across the aisle um, in a productive way. And so we've actually decided to start taking some steps to help um, create more conversations and build relationships between legislators. So we're doing more dinners together. We're doing more activities together. And I, I, I know that it might seem kind of like a small or token thing to do, but I got to tell you, the way that we make progress is when we have relationships and we know each other and we know our backgrounds, we know our values, and we can learn about each other and be able to have those conversations um, in the building that are tough Um and I think that when you have that relationship, it provides a better conversation in committee rooms and on the floor. So we're going to be doing all we can to try to push back and call out some of that behavior. Um, it's something that's definitely on our minds. Well, one of the relationships that uh, was very much in the spotlight uh, last session was that between uh, Speaker Mitzi Johnson and Senate President Pro Tem Tim Ash where things kind of fell apart at the end. Um, And legislation that was important to Democrats and progressives, uh, namely paid family leave, minimum wage, uh, essentially got left at the table uh, to be picked up now. Has that changed? Uh, The relationship between House leadership and Senate leadership has has been improving and growing and I'll tell you over the summer and the fall we spent a lot of time coming together not only talking with our caucus members um, but also reaching out across the state house to the senate side of the aisle um, and having conversations with senators and I think um, improving communications and talking more about our priorities together in the same room um, has been very productive. And I think you can see so far this session um, the the that the level of commu- communication is in, has improved us, and we've been having a smoother time um, with our with the bills on paid leave and minimum wage and other bills as well. Um, you know, there's always been this tension between the House and the Senate that goes back. It's, it happens in every state. Um, it's not uncommon. I think uh, what we, we took away some some lessons learned from last year, and this year we are hitting the ground running in sync um, as we work on these really tough but important issues. And finally, uh, the local politics. Um, the the ground is shifting under our feet as we're talking. Um, some of the key players who uh, in leadership in Vermont, so uh, Senate President Pro Tem Tim Ash, uh, you're uh, you know the head of the Senate now, running for Lieutenant Governor, Lieutenant Governor David Zuckerman running for Governor, 
uh, openings in the Chittenden County Senate race uh, that has seen uh, some important political figures now running. Keisha Rahm, um, uh, Dylan Jim Batista from Essex, among others. How does this affect your day-to-day work as people are on the move? <laughs> wow. Well, I'll tell you, that was not the way we anticipated the first week of session um, to roll out. Uh, but uh, it's great to see so many people um, raising their hand and running for office. And, and I just have to point out that in the lieutenant governor's race, uh, there is potential to have two or three women um, running for lieutenant governor. And they're all Emerge alumni, which I have to just raise because I'm the, also the executive director of Emerge Vermont, and it makes me so proud to see women who were in the program um, raising their hand and and uh, having the the courage to stand up and to run. So I just have to make a plug for that because I think that's really exciting. Um, you know, I think how it impacts our day to day world in the state house isn't. Um, I think that we see it in in people um, just literally talking more about who's going to run for what and candidates coming in the building to try to talk with us about getting support and whether they should run. So it feels like the campaign season has been bumped up a bit, I guess is the short version of that answer. Um, but I also think that uh, with everyone uh, – wanting to raise issues about what they care about and what their platform is going to be uh, will actually help us in the building because we all want to work together to get those things done. And uh, lastly, we can't finish before I ask you, are you moving anywhere? <laughs> I am going to be running for re-election for my legislative seat. Uh, I I love serving in the legislature, and I think right now it's the best place for me to, to work on the, the issues that I care so much about. Well, House Majority Leader and Representative from Burlington, Jill Krowinski, thanks so much for joining us again on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you. It's great to be here. And that does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this and all shows on our podcast page at vermontconversation.com. We'll be tuning in next Wednesday at 1 for another Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening. The Vermont Conversation with David Goodman. This special feature from Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility is underwritten in part by... Vermont Student Assistance Corporation. VSAC helps students of all ages save, plan, and pay for college and career training with education and career planning services, need-based grants, scholarships, low-cost education loans, and Vermont's official 529 college savings plan. Norwich Solar Technologies, providing complete clean energy services to Vermont schools, towns, nonprofits, and businesses. Green Mountain Power, delivering clean, cost-effective, and highly reliable power to customers and offering cutting-edge products and services to reduce costs and carbon. The Alchemist Brewery of Waterbury and Stowe, proud B Corp, using the power of business to support a clean environment and economic opportunity for all. UVM Medical Center, Burlington, Vermont, the heart and science of medicine. Let's Grow Kids, a statewide campaign about the need for more high-quality, affordable child care in Vermont to better support our children, families, communities, and economy. Concept 2, designers and manufacturers of Concept 2 rowing oars, indoor rower, ski erg, and bike erg, and proud to support nonprofit groups such as the Green Mountain Club. 
and nearly 700 business members of Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit.